Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. For years, ParCast has worked tirelessly to bring you an unprecedented look at history's most radical true crime events. Your support has not only allowed us to keep exploring these stories, but has driven us to keep expanding as well. So as a thank you to the ParCast listeners, I am honored to announce the release of our first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. It's available on July 12th, and you can pre-order it today at parcast.com cults. The Branch Davidians, the Ant Hill Kids, Heaven's Gate, and more. Cults combs through the terrifying details never explored in any of Parcast's series before. This is a passion project only made possible by you. So we truly hope you'll enjoy it. Visit parcast.com slash cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. Due to the graphic nature of this woman's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of sex work, gun violence, and suicide. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. History remembers Norma Wallace as the Queen of New Orleans, and she earned that title by crossing quite a few boundaries to make sure she was the one in charge of her own destiny. Still, despite being a demanding madam, she was also a careful, cautious businesswoman and a nurturing protector of her employees. See, Norma Wallace wasn't just one thing, she was many. And although we're talking about her today because she lived her life on the wrong side of the law, that's not all there is to know about her. Rule breaker? Definitely. Risk taker? Absolutely. Heartbreaker? Don't even get me started. And what's wild is that after years of flirting with danger in her professional life, it wasn't her crimes that brought her down. But before we get to that, there's still a lot more to know about Norma's story. Welcome to Female Criminals, a Spotify original from Parcast. History has seen its fair share of women in trouble with the law, but whether or not they were all criminals is sometimes open to interpretation. This is the show where we cover the full spectrum of women behaving badly. Last week, we followed Norma Wallace as she crawled her way out of poverty to become one of the most powerful madams in the French Quarter. Today, we'll dive into Norma's personal life and explore how one very big love led to her tragic end. We've got all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com Spotify. TommyJohn.com Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? 
Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Whether you're making a delicious family meal or a post-workout snack, choose the farm-fresh taste of Eggland's best eggs. Only Eggland's best hens are fed their proprietary all-vegetarian feed. That's what makes their eggs more nutritious. With 10 times more vitamin E, 25% less saturated fat, and 6 times more vitamin D compared to ordinary eggs. Eggland's best. Better taste, better nutrition, better eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com to learn more. In 1936, Norma Wallace partnered up with the New Orleans police chief and helped him nab one of America's most wanted criminals. And now that the 35-year-old madam was in the captain's good graces, she was untouchable. Don't get me wrong, sex work was still very much a crime, but it was like the rules just didn't apply to Norma. As far as we can tell, the cops left the madam, her girls, and her establishment alone. Naturally, this allowed her brothel to flourish, and soon Norma's name was synonymous with not only sex, lust, and fantasy, but also money and power. So much so that she was dubbed the Queen of the French Quarter. Wherever she went, people knew who she was, and they knew not to mess with her. And Norma didn't shy away from her reputation. In fact, she used that notoriety to have a little fun of her own. At the beginning of that year, Norma walked into the city's premier nightclub, The Blue Room. Up on stage, 30-year-old Phil Harris sang with his band, or rather, he kind of sang-spoke. It was a new type of music called talking blues, and he was killing it. Everyone in the crowd loved his performance, including Norma. After the show, she went up and introduced herself. We don't know what the two said, but by the end of the night, both were smitten. Phil felt particularly honored to even be talking to Norma. Though he was just a visitor passing through town, he knew all about the queen. He also knew that madams didn't usually engage in love affairs. And yet, here she was, standing in front of him, all weak in the knees. And I mean, how could she not be? Phil came from the glamorous world of Hollywood. He was handsome, charming, and a few years younger than Norma, all things she looked for in a lover. There was one potential snag, though, because Phil was also married. But while most women might have turned back at the sight of a ring on a man's finger, Norma wasn't your average woman. To her, a fling with a married man made the chase all the more fun. Before we continue with Norma's psychology, please note that I'm not a licensed psychiatrist or psychologist, but we have done a lot of research for the show. Now, you know what they say, people always want what they can't have. And according to a 2011 article from the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, there's a reason for that. The more off-limits something is, the more desirable it becomes. This is because when we tell our brains to not think about something, our thoughts actually become more fixated on it. It's like that old thought experiment, the one where someone tells you not to think about a pink elephant. You're thinking about a pink elephant now, aren't you? When something's forbidden, that's the exact thought process that cycles over again and again in our heads. You tell yourself not to think about it, but you do anyway until eventually it can become an obsession. And Norma was certainly obsessed with her new beau. 
Soon after meeting Phil, she made a standing reservation at the Blue Room. Every night, Norma and her roster of girls strutted into the club and watched the performance. Afterwards, Phil and his band followed the ladies back to the brothel, where they all drank and danced well into the morning. But after about two months, Phil's show wrapped up in New Orleans, and he returned to Los Angeles. He and Norma tried to keep the good times rolling, but even when they managed to see each other, the truth was hard to ignore. It wasn't going to work out. Aside from anything else, distance was standing in their way. Phil's life was in L.A., and hell would freeze over before Norma left the Big Easy. Neither of those facts were ever going to change. So, like so many of the greatest love affairs, theirs fizzled out. Of course, Norma wasn't single for long. As biographer Chris Wiltz points out in her book, The Last Madam, men were always calling after her, sometimes in the most unexpected of ways. In 1936, a new client called into Norma's brothel and asked for a girl to be sent over to a local bar. This wasn't a normal ask. Usually, Norma preferred for all her girls' dates to happen under her own roof. But still, a job was a job, and a happy customer meant the possibility of consistent business. So Norma sent a young woman named Eileen to go meet the John. She was one of Norma's smartest girls and could handle the toughest of situations. But when Eileen returned the next morning, she was clearly rattled. The guy she'd met was 35-year-old gangster Sam Hunt, one of Al Capone's men who was visiting from Chicago. People called him Golf Bag Sam for the bag he often carried around with him. Except instead of golf balls, he liked to keep his machine gun tucked inside. In other words, he was a scary guy, and Eileen made it clear to Norma that she never wanted to see him again. Norma was a nurturing, protective madam and promised Eileen she wouldn't have to. So when Sam called the brothel the next night, Norma told him to take his business elsewhere. They didn't need or want his patronage. Sam was shocked. No one told him no, especially not a woman. Incensed, he threatened to come over and show her who was boss. Norma didn't back down. She told him to bring it on and hung up the phone. Then she grabbed her own shotgun, because of course she had one of her own, and braced herself for a showdown. As far as we can tell, she was on her own, likely waiting somewhere in the front parlor. But as the hours ticked away and Sam didn't show, Norma finally let down her guard and put down the gun. Unfortunately, that's exactly when he walked through her door. And now that Norma's gun was out of reach, she was in trouble. She'd talked a big game on the phone, but really, what was she going to do against a notorious gangster? As Sam closed the gap between them, Norma likely saw her life flashing before her eyes. But then, instead of feeling his wrath, the queen was hit by something even more startling, Sam's soft side. He asked Norma for a drink and said he wanted to get to know the woman who'd had the gall to talk back to him. Norma had a hard time believing that was true. Still, drinking with a wanted criminal was much better than, well, being shot by the guy. So she poured him a stiff drink and took a seat beside him. 
As the night wore on, it became clear that Sam really was there just to talk, and the unlikely pair got on like a house on fire. That first drink turned into a full week of rendezvous. They went to dinner and dancing, then retreated back to Norma's every evening. They were so crazy about each other that Sam even got Norma a five-and-a-half-carat diamond ring. Although, to be clear, they weren't about to walk down the aisle. That's because Sam was still married, which we already know was like catnip for Norma. It could have been a love story for the ages, the hardworking madam and the gangster who wore his heart on his sleeve. The problem was this gangster was extremely possessive. Sam only saw Norma as his mistress, emphasis on his. And it didn't take long before he got jealous of the men hanging around her. Norma told Sam, plain and simple, that her job depended on her maintaining relationships with her male clients. But no matter what she said, Sam wouldn't see reason. One time, Norma brought Sam to the airport to catch a flight back to Chicago. When he boarded the plane, he looked out the window and saw her talking to a pilot. He was so jealous that when he landed, he got on another flight right back to New Orleans. Then he raced to Norma's house and nearly broke down her door, demanding to know if she was in there with the pilot. Of course she wasn't. Norma knew better than to two-time a guy like Sam. But the mobster was too proud to admit that he was wrong. He flew back to Chicago and didn't speak to Norma for days. Not that she wanted to talk to him just then anyway. They were both upset. But after four days of radio silence, Norma had to talk to someone. So she turned to her old confidant and ex-boyfriend, 39-year-old Pete Herman, and gave him the rundown. She told him all about her relationship with Sam and his violent jealousy. He might have been ignoring her for now, but she knew that was only temporary. Whenever he deigned to come back to town, his attitude was going to get in the way of her business and her freedom. After soaking it all in, Pete came up with a solution. He suggested that he and Norma get married, which, okay, seems like an odd solution to Norma's relationship drama, but what do I know? Because Norma agreed, and in July of 1936, Norma and Pete got hitched. Unsurprisingly to everyone who wasn't Norma and Pete, Sam was livid when he heard the news. In a fit of rage, he flew to New Orleans and drove to Norma's house in the middle of the night. He waited outside at his car until she finally left the building. As she locked up and started down the street, Sam turned on the engine, hit the gas, and drove straight at her. Fortunately, Norma jumped out of the way at the last second. With her heart beating through her chest, she peered into the car window, ready to cuss out the driver. But when she saw who it was, her heart sank. She ran back inside and locked the door behind her before Sam tried anything else. Then she raced to the phone and called Pete to warn him that her ex was on a warpath. Sure enough, Sam went straight to Pete's lounge and fired blindly into the building. By some miracle, he didn't hit anyone, but it was close. After the initial shots, someone inside the club returned fire, and if one of Sam's friends hadn't arrived to talk him down, who knows what might have happened. Luckily, Sam put his gun away and got on a plane for Chicago before anyone got killed. 
All in all, it was a pretty dramatic end to Norma's latest love affair. Still, it seemed that her and Pete's plan had worked like a charm, even if it was a little messier than anyone anticipated. In any case, the Queen of Nola was free from golf bag Sam's grasp, and with him out of the picture, she could finally turn up the heat on her oldest and truest flame, her brothel. Coming up, Norma's business burns bright. Hi listeners, it's Vanessa. On behalf of ParCast, I'd like to thank you for your continued support. Your loyalty has allowed us to keep expanding even beyond podcasts. That's why I'm so thrilled to share some special news with you all, something we've never done before and made possible only because of you. On July 12th, we're releasing our first book titled Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. And you can pre-order it today at parcast.com cults. Those of you who've been with ParCast since the beginning know that it's a labor of love for us to bring you these powerful stories. As long as you keep listening, we keep creating. So with the benefit of years of research and insights, we've put together a comprehensive narrative that tries to make sense of mysterious groups such as Nexium, Heaven's Gate, the Manson family, and more, exposing how shared beliefs can have deadly results and taking you deeper into the dark side of human nature than ever before. You won't want to miss this book. Visit parcast.com slash cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. That's parcast.com slash cults. Thank you again for listening. We can't wait for you to dive in. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com Spotify. TommyJohn.com Spotify. See site for details. Now, back to the story. Norma Wallace's marriage to Pete Herman was never meant to last. In 1936, just a few months after they tied the knot, she filed for divorce. Then the 35-year-old madam shifted all of her attention to expanding her operation. At the time, she ran her business out of her modest home in the French Quarter, but the space was starting to feel a bit cramped, and Norma dreamed of something bigger. So in 1938, the 37-year-old bought the perfect property, 1026 Conti Street. The two-story house had 16 rooms and multiple entrances. It even had a separate private apartment where Norma could live apart from all of the commotion. The location was also ideal. The building shared a parking lot with a sheet metal company, which gave Norma's clients plausible deniability. They could drive into the company's lot, then come in through her back door, and no one would be any the wiser. What's more, the bigger house also meant that Norma could have even more girls working each night, and her roster swelled to about 30 women. Each of them turned five or six tricks a day, and those tricks meant more money in Norma's pocket. Over the next six years, Norma raked in the dough. 
And while I can't exactly tell you how much, one source claimed that during this period, she personally made around $80,000. Back then, that would have been plenty had Norma decided she wanted to give it all up and retire. And funnily enough, that's kind of what she did. She didn't exactly call it quits, but in 1945, the successful madam was ready for a break. Her timing couldn't have been more perfect because that year, the rules of the game had changed. New Orleans had a new mayor, and he wanted to reform the city. That signaled the end for Norma's long-standing deal with the police chief. With that, 45-year-old Norma saw the writing on the wall. It was only a matter of time before authorities came into her establishment and dismantled everything she'd worked so hard for. But even as she worried about what was coming next, she couldn't help but give in to a few distractions. And for Norma, there was no better distraction than a good old romance. According to author Chris Wiltz, it was around this time, Charles McCoy walked into her brothel and swept her off her feet. Not only was he charming and handsome, he was 10 years her junior. Of course, Norma was in heaven. Being with a younger man made her feel alive. With dizzying speed, she not only started dating Charles, she married him. She also let her girls go and bade them good luck. She decided to vacate her throne. Maybe some other madam would step up and fill her shoes, maybe not. Whatever happened in the French Quarter was no longer her concern. That's because Norma and her new husband were leaving the city behind for a simpler life out in the country. In all likelihood, this move had more to do with Charles than Norma. He'd always wanted to be a dairy farmer, and God knows Norma had the money to make that happen. As a wedding gift of sorts, she purchased a farm in Pearl River, about 40 miles northeast from New Orleans. She also bought him 500 cows. Yeah, I know, when Norma went in, she went all in. And while Charles worked the fields, she took up canning. Orange preserves, blackberry jam, tomato chutney, pickled green beans, you name it. When she got bored of that, she practiced sharpshooting. But it was never enough to keep her satisfied. After about five years on the farm, she had to admit she wasn't cut out for the simple life. Fortunately, Norma had always kept one foot in her old life. She hadn't been able to bring herself to sell her place on Conti Street. While she was gone, she'd been running it as a boarding house. And now it felt like it was time to go back. In the fall of 1949, she and Charles sold the farm and the couple returned to New Orleans. But the timing wasn't exactly ideal. Politicians were still cracking down on vice in the French Quarter, and it seemed like brothel after brothel was shuttering their windows. But 48-year-old Norma wasn't deterred. We don't know who exactly she had on her payroll, but she clearly managed to get big enough fish to keep both her and her girls out of trouble. We're talking police officers, politicians, judges. Anyone who had any sort of clout was fair game. Besides, Norma knew one fundamental truth that would help her succeed. With enough money, anyone could break the law. Still, she was careful. She relied on her handy little black book and only reached out to the clients she trusted to let them know she was back in town and open for business. 
Of course, she'd only service people she knew or those who came with good referrals. She also ran her new roster of girls out of hotels. It was safer that way, especially since her property in the French Quarter was still being used as a boarding house. This secretive business model worked remarkably well. By 1953, 52-year-old Norma was the only madam operating in New Orleans. Everyone else had shut down, either out of fear or because they'd been forced to. So even after years away, Norma easily reclaimed her place as the queen of the French Quarter. But in her mind, operating out of hotels made the game all too easy. She was bored and was willing to gamble it all for a new challenge. That might seem absurd to you or I, but there's some research that might explain Norma's decision here. According to a 2002 study from the Journal of Experimental Psychology, boredom can often lead people to take more risks. That's because risky behavior offers an intense emotional experience. That's in high contrast to the initial state of boredom. If you can imagine a line graph measuring boredom and excitement, Individuals with lower levels of stimulation generally maintain a low and consistent line straight across, like a heart monitor that's flatlined. As a result, bored individuals are more motivated to take risks in order to experience a spike. They also feel way more optimistic about their chances of pulling off risky endeavors, because in their mind, that brief change makes them feel so alive. This was basically how Norma felt. Desperate for a hit of excitement, she decided to move her operation from hotels and back into a legit house. She booted the boarders out of her home on Conti Street and moved her girls in. And now she was really back in business. But while Norma felt a renewed sense of purpose, Charles wasn't so keen. Actually, he hated it. He warned her to get out of the game for good but Norma wasn't one to take orders from her husband. Nor did she fancy taking them from the police. Despite her many friends in high places, authorities were still determined to close down her brothel. But Norma was too good at covering her tracks. And as they became more dogged in their attempts, she got smarter. First, she employed her own informants and spies, both inside and outside the force. That way, whenever warrants were coming down or raids were about to happen, Norma knew about them beforehand. By the time any uniformed officers showed up, her house would be sparkling clean, with not a girl in sight. When it became clear the usual methods wouldn't work, the police tried another angle to get inside the Queen's palace. One day, a female officer we'll call Stacy made an appointment at the Davis Beauty Salon where Norma got her hair done every other afternoon. As the stylist went to town on Norma's dye job, Stacy took a seat beside the notorious madam and chatted her up. As they made small talk, the undercover cop laid the groundwork for her eventual ask. She wanted to come work for Norma. When Stacy finally came out and said it, Norma looked her up and down and said, Honey, you couldn't even be a maid in my house. You look like death took a holiday. As it turned out, Norma knew exactly who Stacy was. She'd gotten the information through her web of informants and had been ready for the subterfuge. But while Norma had won this battle, authorities weren't about to accept defeat so easily. 
One night in June of 1962, a group of six college students showed up at Norma's door. At first, the 61-year-old didn't let them in. She didn't know them, and they didn't have referrals. But the boys eventually wore her down. As soon as she relented, they each picked a girl and retreated upstairs with them. For about half an hour, everything seemed okay. That's when Norma heard shouting. A moment later, one of her girls was in the hallway, screaming that the boys were actually cops. Panicking, Norma raced to get rid of any incriminating evidence. She hid all her money, then took a match to her records before the cops could get to them. But paper trail or not, they finally caught her. Within minutes, another set of officers kicked down the front door and stormed inside. They slapped handcuffs on Norma's wrists and arrested her, along with five of her girls. At the station, Norma was charged with prostitution, pandering, and renting her home for prostitution, which was pretty standard stuff for a madam. But it was all new to her, and for the first time in her life, the real threat of jail hung over her. After decades at the top, her empire was starting to crack. Coming up, Norma's reign comes to an end. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, gift mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Now back to the story. In 1962, Norma Wallace was charged with pandering and prostitution and facing years in jail. Sure, she made bail, but if things went badly at trial, she could kiss her life of freedom goodbye. And after a lifetime of getting her way, the 61-year-old wasn't willing to gamble her remaining years. So she went to the judge and attempted to strike a deal for herself. Fortunately, the judge just so happened to be a client of hers, and he was more than willing to negotiate terms. According to Chris Wiltz in her book, The Last Madam, he told her that if she pleaded guilty, he'd agree to give her a three-month sentence, which she could do in six weeks. Never one to look a gift horse in the mouth, Norma took the plea. After that, she was carted off to prison, and it seems the whole experience changed her. When she got out, Norma swore she was done with sex work for good. And this time, she meant it. She put her house on Conti Street up for sale, 
stopped running tricks, and to make her fresh start even cleaner, she also filed for divorce. Charles McCoy had always disapproved of his wife's career, so much so that when she landed in jail, he crowed that he'd been right all along. Her crimes weren't worth the trouble. As you can probably imagine, Norma didn't appreciate that, so as soon as she could, she kicked Charles to the curb. Then, before the ink on the paperwork was dry, she fell into the arms of a new man. A much younger man. Norma had known Wayne Bernard for years, having hired him to help around one of her properties when he was just a teenager. Now, though, he was 22, a full-grown man, and it was hard for Norma to ignore that fact. It was just as hard for her not to fall deliriously in love with the kid. For some, falling in love can be a painstaking process, one where we carefully weigh out the pros and cons of our prospective partner before jumping into anything serious. That way, we ensure we're making the most informed decision about where to place our heart. For others, love isn't something to deliberate on. For them, it's an overwhelming, all-consuming, instantaneous feeling that just kind of blindsides you. And while many of us may never experience this type of love, philosopher Dr. Loretta Bruning explains that there's a scientific reason for this phenomenon. When we fall madly in love with someone, three things are likely going on in our brains. First, we're hit with a spike of dopamine. This is the hormone that affects how much pleasure we feel. After that comes a rush of oxytocin, a hormone that's associated with attachment and essentially makes us feel closer to our partners. In most good relationships, it's pretty normal to get a kick of both dopamine and oxytocin whenever we're around our partners. But what makes us feel the butterflies is, in part, the surge of serotonin. In evolutionary terms, this has been referred to as our brain's status hormone. Serotonin levels can rise when we're with a partner we perceive as high value. That's because being with a high value person makes us feel that we're of high value as well. Naturally, this makes us feel good about ourselves and, in turn, strengthens our belief that we're with the right person. Knowing this, it's totally possible that Norma felt a sudden rush of serotonin when she first began seeing Wayne. That's because, at 61 years old, she was sort of on a decline. She wasn't exactly fielding the same romantic offers as she used to, and she also wasn't pulling in the kind of money she once did. Wayne, on the other hand, had his whole life ahead of him. He was sweet and handsome, and he had a way about him that made all women swoon. And while I can't say for certain that he felt the same hormonal rush as Norma probably did, it seems he was definitely enchanted by her. Because even though he could have had his pick of women, he settled into the role of her boyfriend very comfortably. Then in 1964, after Norma finally sold her home, Wayne agreed to move to the countryside with her. There, in the small town of Wagaman, Norma started dreaming up a new business. She may have been done with her life as a madam, but she still wanted to bring in a steady stream of cash. So she decided to turn her house into a restaurant. It might seem kind of random, but the restaurant was actually a success. Of course, its popularity had nothing to do with the food. Norma was the real attraction. Despite her time out of the spotlight, people still remembered the Queen of New Orleans, and they wanted to see what kind of place she was running now. 
For people who stopped by for dinner, there was definitely a thrill in going there. Everyone was convinced that Norma ran sex workers out of the house, and nothing she said could convince them otherwise. So eventually, Norma leaned into the spectacle of it all. She'd always said money was money, and she wasn't going to argue with people throwing down cash just to see what she was up to. But while business was booming, Norma couldn't sit back and enjoy her success, because at some point she started to worry that Wayne wanted to leave her, and the thought was all-consuming. So she did everything she could to keep him under her thumb. First, she convinced Wayne to get married. Then, thinking that marriage wasn't enough, she moved them out to a farm in Mississippi. Theoretically, it was supposed to be just the two of them. There'd be no distractions to draw him away. But the plan didn't work. At some point, Wayne began seeing another woman. And when Norma found out, she was devastated. She loved Wayne more than she'd loved anyone. And now, he'd not only broken their marriage vows, he'd broken her heart. Somewhat literally. According to researcher Naomi Eisenberger, the same sensory regions in the brain fire for physical and emotional pain. So it's not totally wrong to say that a broken heart hurts. In terms of injuries, the brain recognizes heartache pretty much the same it would a broken bone. That was certainly the case for Norma. She was consumed by her pain and resented Wayne for making her feel that way. Meanwhile, Wayne didn't know how to handle the situation. He still loved Norma, but it was clear that his feelings weren't as strong as hers. And that was pure torture for her. Perhaps that's why Wayne moved out of the house and into a nearby trailer. He knew that she needed some space to heal. But even after making the move, Wayne continued to come by the house and check on his wife. But author Chris Wilt suggests that this only made Norma more upset. She felt as if she was being pushed to the edge where she only had two options. Either she had to kill Wayne or she had to die. She couldn't see it ending any other way. Eventually, heartbreak got the best of her. In December of 1974, while some friends were visiting her in Mississippi, Norma went into her farmhouse kitchen and tried to take her own life. Hearing a commotion, Norma's friends woke up and rushed downstairs. She was still breathing, but it didn't look good. They called an ambulance and the paramedics rushed Norma to the hospital. As Norma underwent surgery, her friends called Wayne and he raced to the hospital. About an hour after he arrived, 74-year-old Norma Wallace was dead. As sad as the end of her story is, Norma wasn't the type of woman who'd want our pity. Before she died, she recorded herself on audio tapes, a box full of them. Talking into a machine, she recounted her greatest adventures, pointing out that she'd been a captain of her industry, something she was damn proud of. Like I said at the start, she broke rules, yes, but she also broke molds and hearts. Most people will remember Norma Wallace simply as the Queen of New Orleans, one of the greatest madams in American history. But you and I both know there was more to her story than a fancy name and an imaginary throne.
Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on Norma Wallace, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Last Madam, A Life in the New Orleans Underworld by Chris Wiltz, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Female Criminals and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Michael Motion, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Female Criminals was written by Alex Burns, with writing assistance by Jane O. and Joel Callen, fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. Exciting news. ParCast's first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them, is now available for pre-order at ParCast.com cults. Thanks to your support, we've compiled years of research, insights, and a catalog of case studies to expose more about these cults and the people behind them than ever before. Details which haven't even been explored in our Cults podcast. Visit parcast.com slash cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them.